Empire. Welcome to Inside the Cap. I'm your host, Joel Corey. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Corey Joel. That's C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And also you can find my regular CBS Sports.com agent's take um, each week. Um, today we're going to be talking about the firing of Houston Texans head coach Bill O'Brien, head coach and GM. And we're going to be looking at the biggest mistakes Bill O'Brien made as GM. Um, I think Bill O'Brien, the GM, contributed to Bill O'Brien, the head coach, getting fired. Um, Typically, you don't have the head coach and GM in one person. New England's done it. Bill Belichick is the exception, not the rule. I remember a situation in basketball um, 20-plus years ago where there's a very good head coach, Rick Pitino, who left Kentucky to go back to the NBA. He'd been a successful head coach with the Knicks, had total control of the organization. Rick Pitino, the GM, killed Rick Pitino, the head coach. Um, he didn't do very well in Boston and went back uh, to college basketball um, after that. Now, Bill O'Brien ultimately accumulated a lot of power uh, throughout the organization. It culminated in him um, basically being the head power broker when Brian Gain was fired in June 2019 as general manager. From that point on, it was the Bill O'Brien show. Uh, Even though Chris Olsen, the cap guy, uh, was given the title of interim GM, it was really Bill O'Brien. And then he didn't get the formal title of GM until... Late January, Chris Olson uh, was fired um, about a week before he got the title. Some of the decisions that Bill O'Brien made <laughs> were just mind-boggling. And at the top of that list was the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Now, DeAndre Hopkins, arguably the best receiver in football, wanted his contract addressed, had basically $40 million left over on, with three years left on his contract. Cal McNair, the uh, chairman of the uh, Texans came out and said that there's no way we're going to be able to do something to uh, Hopkins' contract and do the other things they wanted to do, which was uh, sign Deshaun Watson uh, to an extension in Laramie Tunsil. Now, that being said, that's all well and good. If, if, if financially that was going to be a problem, yeah, that's one thing. But you don't trade him and a fourth-round pick to the Cardinals for David Johnson a second-round pick, and another fourth-round pick. You're not getting anything remotely close to what is fair compensation um, for uh, Hopkins. Hopkins and um, O'Brien didn't have a great relationship, so it's really O'Brien, the GM's job, to look past that and try to do what's best for the uh, Texans. And this deal was not what's best. If you're going to trade him, you got to at least get a first-round pick. And I'll give an example of why that. Um, Stephon Diggs uh, was unhappy in Minnesota. Goes to the Bills this year for a first-round pick, a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, a 2021 fourth-round pick, 
and Buffalo got Diggs in the seventh round pick. Now, the interesting thing is Brian Gain is a front office executive with the uh, Bills. So uh, because that Jerry relationship, I, I've always wondered if uh, Bill O'Brien placed that call to Buffalo to see if uh, they'd have any interest. Because DeAndre Hopkins, better player than Stephon Diggs. Brandon Cooks has been traded twice with a first-round pick involved. Um, when New England got him from the Saints, um, they get up a first and third to get Cooks and a fourth, fourth-round pick. When New England traded him to the Rams, a first and six for Cook and a fourth. Odo Beckham Jr., when, he, when the Giants traded him, first, third, and Jabril Peppers. So, <laughs> essentially, DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick, that's crazy. <laughs> and, and David Johnson, David Johnson has not his last really good year was 2016 when he led the league in yards from scrimmage and had 20 touchdowns. Now, if you're going to take on David Johnson's bloated contract, um, he's had a fully guaranteed $10.2 million base salary this year, and the Cardinals were, were looking to move him because once they traded for Kenyon Drake last year, he was a backup. So you make the Cardinals eat part of that salary as a condition of the trade that you have them convert, I don't know, half of it, half the 10.21, 10.2 million into signing bonus, so that's 5.1 that they convert into signing bonus. So you're only taking about back 5.1 million of salary for this year. And that would be a cons- uh, at least one consolation for making this trade. Another thing that um, O'Brien did, which is a rookie GM mistake, and this is maybe where... Um, Chris Olsen, not having him around, comes into play. That I can't imagine DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Larry Tunsil's getting the contract that he got this year, even though you gave him the type of leverage you did. And Chris Olsen was there when the trade was made. But when you don't get a deal done with a player when you trade him, you hand him the hammer, a ton of leverage. And that's what happened when they traded with the Dolphins for Tunsil, because they gave up an arm and a leg to get him. They had a 2020 first-round pick, a 2021 first-round pick, 2021 second-round pick, safety Johnson Batamosi, offensive tackle Julian Davenport. They got Kenny Stills back of Tunsil, a 2020 fourth-round pick, and a 2021 sixth-round pick. This is basically Tunsil for two firsts and a second. You get the deal done at the time you do the trade. If you don't, the player can just rake you over the coals. And that's what happened here. Even though Tunsil didn't use a traditional agent, he knew he had a ton of leverage, and he made the Texans pay dearly. He signs a three-year extension for $66 million, which is becomes the first $20 million per year offensive lineman. Has $40 million fully guaranteed signing, which is the most ever for an offensive lineman. $50 million in overall guarantees, tied for second among offensive linemen. Just dramatically raises the bar. Offensive linemen. What the Texans needed to do, when if they get the deal done at the time, they're saving themselves a ton of money. Because the highest paid offensive lineman, when Tunsil was traded last September, was 
right tackle Trent Brown. And he signed a four-year, $66 million contract. That averages, that averages $16.5 million per year. And that's what he got in free agency to go to the Raiders. So Lane Johnson ultimately became the, uh, the highest-paid lineman, um, surpassed uh, Trent Brown, signed an extension for $18 million per year with the Eagles. If you do the deal at trade time, you're probably in that same neighborhood as Lane Johnson at $18 million per year. You're not going to $22 million per year um, like you had to um, to get the Tunsil deal done. And even if you don't do the deal, if you have Chris Olsen there, he's probably going to hold the line a little more. <laughs> You're not going to be because he's an experienced negotiator. He'd been with the um, Texans for 13 years uh, running the cap and negotiating contracts. He's not. I can't imagine Chris Olsen's going to give Larry, Laramie Tunsil a contract averaging $22 million per year. I still think he's the first $20 million per year um, offensive lineman. Um, maybe he's a 20.5. I don't see this deal getting to 2022 20, if you have an experienced cap guy there. O'Brien first showed that he was over his head with um, how he handled the uh, trade of Javion Clowney. Um, Clowney was uh, given a franchise tag in 2017. But what O'Brien did was create the blueprint for how not to handle a player you want that you're going to trade with a franchise tag. There's a July 15th deadline for franchise players to sign long-term deals. And after that deadline, um, the franchise player can't sign anything but a one-year deal with uh, his own team or if he's traded with the team that acquires him. So because Clowney is potentially going to be a one-year proposition, that's going to dramatically impact the trade compensation. We had two guys who were given franchise tags um, in 2019, edge rushers, just like Clowney, that were traded in a more timely fashion. Um, D. Ford was traded from the Chiefs to the 49ers right in free agency open in mid-March, first day of the league year, for a second-round pick. Then right before the draft, Kansas City acquired Frank Clark from Seattle. Um, Frank Clark, uh, that was a first-round pick and a second-round pick. <laughs> to get Frank Clark. <laughs> so that's really the range of compensation what you're supposed to get for Clowney if you trade him in a timely manner, um, somewhere in that area. Now, the Texans traded him right around Labor Day uh, weekend. They get a third-round pick. They get two outside linebackers, edge rushers, Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo from, from the Seahawks. Um, Seattle was uh, supposedly going to release uh, Mingo. So you and the two guys that they traded didn't play a whole lot. Martin played in 14 games, had 20% play time. Mingo played in all 16 games, basically a special teams player, had 7% play time. <laughs> so basically, you got the third round pick for him because you waited so late. And then to add insult to injury, <laughs> uh, they did something else that also surprised me. That on the way out the door, they converted seven million. Clowney's $15 million that he played for last year and a signing bonus. So that's $7 million on the books for the Texans. That's what I was talking about with David Johnson that they should have done, made the Cardinals eat money on the way out the door. Um, also, I don't know who gave it to him. I'm not sure if it was the Texans that gave it to him on the way out the door or Seattle agreed to it. But Clowney also got a clause where you couldn't stick another franchise tag on him this year. 
And that hadn't happened since 2008, where there had been some some kind of uh, clause where you couldn't franchise or transition a guy that was a been designated franchise player. Albert Hainsworth, the Titans, got that in 2008. That was the last time. Now, that third-round pick that they got <laughs> ended up being the 91st overall pick in the draft. Too bad they couldn't use it because they dealt it to the Raiders right before the trading deadline last year for Gary Conley, um, a 2017 first-round pick. And then they didn't pick up the fifth-year option for Conley for 2021. So he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So that's a $10.244 million option they declined. Another move which really hurt O'Brien was what he did in free agency this year in terms of prioritizing signings. He goes out and gets uh, from another team from Dallas. Randall Cobb signed him to a three-year, $27 million contract, averaging $9 million per year. Then gets Eric Murray, cornerback from the Browns, Three years, $18 million, worth up to nineteen five, with incentives. Base value, average of six. The two deals collectively average $15 million per year. DJ Reader played his best football last year um, on the interior defensive line. Uh, Reader uh, was named second-team All-Pro as an interior defensive lineman by Pro Football Focus. Reader goes out and signs a four-year, $53 million contract with the Bengals, averaging $13.25 million per year. Guess what? The two deals that they signed for Cobb and Murray collectively average more than it would have taken to sign DJ Reader, keep him around. And that's really showing up this year because uh, Reader's a great run stuffer, anchors the, anchors the run defense. And the Texans this year rank last in run defense in the NFL. They're giving up almost 182 yards per game on the ground. So... <laughs> They have a tough schedule the way it started. When you've got the Chiefs, the defending champion, on your on your radar screen, your easiest team is the Vikings, which was a playoff team. Then you weren't going to get off to a great start, most likely. But 0-4, they may, maybe they're not 0-4, DJ Reader around, and DeAndre, and DeAndre Hopkins. Or even if you traded Hopkins, if you got better trade compensation for him, then you could have taken a receiver in the first round <laughs> uh, to replace him. Speaking of how they tried to replace, or they're trying to retrace, replace Hopkins, uh, that was through the Brandon Cooks trade. Um, in April, they gave the Rams a second-round pick for Brandon Cooks and also got a uh, 2022 fourth-round pick in return. Cooks has been, this third time Cooks has been traded. He's coming off the uh, worst year of his career. He had a couple of concussions last year, and he's had like five or six concussions in his career, so that's got to be a concern going but he caught 42 passes, which is a career low, had 583 receiving yards, second lowest total of his career, lowest total since his rookie year, and three TD catches, also a career low. Uh, they're paying Cooks $8 million this year, and he's under contract for three additional years at $39 million. Um, the money's not guaranteed in those three years, so they can cut him free and clear next year. Uh, no cap obligations. The pick that they gave up the 57th overall pick, the Rams used to take Van Jefferson. And Jefferson's four-year contract is worth a little more than $5.6 million. Uh, Cooks has gotten off to a slow start. He's had 10 catches for 138 yards, no touchdowns in four games. That's not what, ideally, that's not what you want for number one receiver. That's not number one receiver production. Just you look at, historically, 
Uh, if you take what the average stats are of a number one receiver, roughly 70 catches and 1,000 yards. So he's a ways away from that. So there was one other move, not quite to the level of these, that was uh, questionable as well. Giving up a third-round pick for Duke Johnson. He's, you give a third-round pick for your uh, – it was a fourth-round pick, conditional fourth-round pick that became a third-round pick if he – played in 10 games, his active 10 games, which he was, for basically a third down back. Ah, that's compensation is a little too steep. Um, in terms of running back, what they could have done instead of acquiring David Johnson was Carlos Hyde at 1,000 yards last year is a last-minute replacement for Lamar Miller, who tore his ACL in the preseason. Carlos Hyde was sitting out there forever. Um, Carlos Hyde eventually signed – a one-year deal for $2.75 million worth up to four of Seattle to be, to be the, the change of pace or relief back to Chris Carson. That could have been the route you, you, you go. Now, because of all these deals that O'Brien's made, they don't have any draft picks, at least in the immediate future. They only had five this year, which was, a sec, which was the second fewest in the NFL behind the Saints. The Saints had four, but one of their four was a first-round pick. First-round pick this year was gone because of Tunsil trade. Miami also owns Houston's first and second-round picks next year because of the uh, Tunsil trade. Presumably, Pro Bowl quarterback John Johnson is going to make the job somewhat attractive to people. Um, but there is one cause of concern that Jack Easterby, who should, who deserves some blame with O'Brien because that's supposed to be O'Brien's guy in the organization. That's supposed to be his uh, biggest supporter ally. Easterby survives. Easterby is the guy who now has Cal McNair's ear. He's gonna McNair's gonna lean heavily on Easterby to help him make decisions. They're gonna uh, McNair's gonna go GM first, and then they're gonna hire a head coach. Easterby. If he's going to remain around and be very influential, that may be some cause of concern for people who want these jobs. Uh, Easterby's got one of the most unusual backgrounds for someone who is a front office executive who has a lot of power. And he's had a meteoric meteoric rise up the front office ranks. This is a guy that a few years ago in New England was the quote-unquote character coach and the team chaplain. I don't know of any other situation where a guy who was a team chaplain is all of a sudden in the ear of the owner uh, as one of the highest-ranking front office executives. So it'll be interesting to see which candidates they attract and if Easterby and his influence, if he's going to survive, impacts who they can ultimately get for head coach and GM. Because if I'm a GM, (laughs) I may want him out out of the picture, uh, Easterby, or at least be minimized to a huge degree. But that wraps it up for uh, this week's edition of Inside the Cap. Uh, Don't forget you can find me on Twitter. That is Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L. And don't forget my regular column at CBSSports.com, Agents Take. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.